All right, welcome back, Cafe All Lit, Season 2. Um, This is Episode 4 of Season 2, but this is Episode 2 of my series on, well, I guess Episode 1. I named the first one Zero, so this is going to be Episode um, Story 1 from Hemingway's In Our Time. Um, and we're going to do chapter one, which is the first vignette and the short story Indian camp, um, diving right in to the first vignette, um, was the vignettes are pretty much all just little, little sketches, um, little pictures of, of moments in time, um, more or less, um, but Hemingway insists that they are absolutely vital to holding this this collection t- together. So, um, here's the first one. Chapter one. Everybody was drunk. The whole battery was drunk going along the road in the dark. We were going to the Champagne, um, being the region in, in France, not, not, the, uh, not the wine for which it is famous for. The lieutenant kept riding his horse out into the fields and saying to him, I'm drunk, I tell you, Monvu. Oh, I am so soused. We went along the road all night in the dark, and the adjutant kept riding, al- riding up alongside my kitchen and saying, You must put it out. It is dangerous. It will be observed. We were 50 kilometers from the front, but the adjutant worried about the fire in my kitchen. It was funny going along that road. That was when I was a kitchen corporal. Um... Not a lot I'm gonna say here, but um, just just the kind of uh, the adjutant. They're fifty. They're fifty kilometers from the front, but but the adjutant is worried about um, him, the narrator cooking, essentially, um, and the light from the fire. Um. Keep in mind, everybody. Everybody was drunk. The first, the first sentence, um, of the thing, and uh, I think, I think the the light from the from the fire from him from him cooking is probably uh, probably a minor minor issue compared to a bunch of people being drunk with guns. But, um, yeah, anyway, I'm sure a, uh, more practiced individual could, could glean more from that. Um, I'm just going to move into the story Indian camp. Um, so here it is. At the lake shore, there was another rowboat drawn up. The two Indians stood waiting. Nick and his father got in the stern of the boat, and the Indians shoved it off, and one of them got into t- into row. Uncle George sat in the stern of the camp rowboat. The young Indian shoved the camp boat off and got in to row Uncle George. The two boats started off in the dark. Nick heard the oarlocks of the other boat quite a way ahead of them in the mist. The Indians rowed with quick, choppy strokes. Nick lay back 
with his father's arm around him. It was cold on the water. The Indian who was rowing them was working very hard, but the other boat moved further ahead in the mist all the time. Where are we going, Dad? Nick asked. Over to the Indian camp. There is an Indian lady very sick. Oh, said Nick. Across the bay, they found the other boat beached. Uncle George was smoking a cigar in the dark. The young Indian pulled the boat way up on the beach. Uncle George gave both the Indian cigars. They walked up from the beach through a meadow that was soaking wet with dew, followed, following the young Indian who carried a lantern. Then they went into the woods and followed a trail that led to the logging road that ran back into the hills. It was a much lighter on the logging road as the timber was cut away on both sides. The young Indian stopped and blew out his lantern, and they all walked on along the road. They came around a bend, and a dog came out barking. Ahead were the lights of the shanties where the Indian bark peelers lived. More dogs rushed out at them. The two Indians sent them back to the shanties. In the shanty nearest the road, there was a light on in the window. An old woman stood in the doorway holding a lamp. Inside, on a wooden bunk, lay a young Indian woman. She had been trying to have her baby for two days. All the old women in the camp had been helping her. The men had moved off up the road to sit in the dark and smoke out of range of the noise she made. She screamed just as Nick and the two Indians followed his father and Uncle George into the shanty. She lay in the lower bunk, very big under a quilt. Her head was turned to one side. In the upper bunk was her husband. He had cut his foot very badly with an axe three days before. He was smoking a pipe. The room smelled very bad. Um, so you get a few things from from the first page that I just read. Um, and I'd just like to point out that I think um, and there's a footnote here that says um, he's calling them Indians. Um, I believe now the in indigenous people are prefer na the term native native americans um but this was he's not using this as, as a slur this was a pretty commonly accepted term um for these for these people at this at this time um there is a slur in this story um, but I just kind of wanted to, wanted to point out, um, that in context here, that's not, it wasn't, um, intended to be any sort of, um, negative thing, which Hemingway, um, in some of his stories does, um, does unfortunately use, use some, Use some unfortunate terms to de to describe people. Um, how reflective that is of Hemingway um, is um, potentially up for debate, but we will do that um, and look into that when we get to any of those stories. Um, so, Nick, um, by the question questions he's asking and um, especially later on in the story, um, his reactions and how his dad answers him. Um, this is Nick Adams, uh, who, who is a recurring, recurring character in Hemingway's short, short stories, his short fiction. Um, and, and you get stories all the way from him as a, as a little kid, all the way up to, um, 
um, an older man. Um, I don't remember exactly kind of how old, but um, you get, you get, uh, you get pieces from, from Nick's entire life pretty much um, in, in Hemingway short fiction through the years. Um, And this, this is, this is an earlier story, both in the time Hemingway wrote it and in the chronology of Nick Adams life. I would suspect he is um, no more than, no more than 10, 10 or so years old here. Um, But I don't know for sure. You get Uncle George um, smoking a cigar, and when when the young Indian pulled the boat way up on the beach, Uncle George gave the Indians cigars. Um, cigars are a very, very American um, in in this in the sense of the story. Um, a, a very American thing for sure. Um, the Indy, the Indians, the Native Americans, um, typically, um, from what I understand, are, are more of more of a pipe smoking. Um, so you get this sense, and it's it's in one of the essays in the back that I'm kind of getting getting this from, but you get this picture of you get this picture of um of the cigars being handed to the indians the native americans who kind of introduced the the europeans to tobacco as they came over i believe um And you get this Americanization of of that to kind of, and it kind of shows how um, the Europeans and Americans took over um, and sort of tried to force force the indigenous peoples to conform in a lot of ways. Um, or either just pushed them into these little settlements and uh, forced them to, I don't know exactly where I was going with that, but you, you sort of hopefully get what I'm, what I'm saying there. Um, the, the picture of giving the, giving the indigenous people, the, the cigars, the um, American version, if you will, of their own product is being kind of forced onto them. Um, let's see. You, we get the picture of the uh, young Indian woman who'd been trying to have her baby for two days. That's a long time to be in labor. Um, and her husband was in the bunk above her, and he had cut his foot very badly with an axe three days before. Um, 
he was smoking a pipe and the room smelled very bad. I imagine um, lots of lots of sweat and uh, potentially other other fluids from both the man who had cut his his foot with the axe and um, the lady laying in bed um, pregnant um, in labor even. So Nick's father ordered some water to be put on the stove, and while it was heating, he spoke to Nick. This lady is going to have a baby, Nick, he said. I know, said Nick. You don't know, said his father. Listen to me. What she is going through is called being in labor. The baby wants to be born, and she wants it to be born. All her muscles are trying to get the baby born. That is what is happening when she screams. I see, Nick said. Just then the woman cried out. Oh, Daddy, can't you give her something to make her stop screaming? asked Nick. No, I haven't any anesthetic his father said, but her screams are not important. I don't hear them because they are not important. The husband in the upper bunk rolled over against the wall. As a doctor, um, it's, it's important. You could argue for, for Nick's father to have this viewpoint of, of the screaming is not important. Um, he's got to block it out in order to, um, operate or do what he needs to do, um, without having that, um, that enter the equation here. Um, but it just sounds really callous when he says it, especially when he's talking to his, his young child. Um, but, but also right before that, you know, he's trying to, as a father, he's trying to, he hears this, you know, all the men in the village, this, this lady's screams have been so bad. The anguish has been so, so much, um, during the last two days that most of the men of the village have moved away where they can't hear her. Um, her husband is stuck in the bunk above her and you, you see um, right after he says her screams are not important after she screams um, said the husband in the upper bunk rolled over against the wall um, which is a reaction to the screaming um, I can't imagine having to to listen to um, your wife or significant other um whatever that may be for you in that much pain where they're screaming so so much that everybody else in the village just kind of all the men have moved away so they don't have to listen to it um hearing someone you care about in that much pain does something to you psychologically and um we will um see how that plays out um later for for sure um says the woman in the kitchen motioned to the doctor that the water was hot nick's father went into the kitchen and poured about half of the water out of the big kettle into a basin into the water left in the kettle he put several things he unwrapped from a handkerchief those must boil, he said, and began to scrub his hands in the basin of hot water with a cake of soap he had brought from the camp. Nick watched his father's hands scrubbing each other with the soap. While his father washed his hands very carefully and thoroughly, he talked. 
You see, Nick, babies are supposed to be born headfirst, but sometimes they're not. When they're not, they make a little. They make a lot of trouble for everybody. Maybe I'll have to operate on this lady. We'll know in a little while. When he was satisfied with his hands, he went in and went to work. Pull back that quilt, will you, George? He said. I'd rather not touch it. Um, to try to keep his uh hands sterilized, right? Um, later, w- when he started to operate, Uncle George and three Indian women and three Indian men held the woman still. She bit Uncle George on the arm, and Uncle George said, "Damn squaw, bitch." Um, the the slur I was referring to. Um, and the young Indian who had rode Uncle George over laughed at him. Nick held the basin for his father. It all took a long time. Um, the term squaw was originally just a term, um, that meant woman or wife. Um, but as with, as with a lot of things, it sort of, um, became a, uh, derisive term and, um, by, by white people. Um, and that, that's how it is used, how it is used here. Um, just, just pointing, pointing that out. So his father picked the baby up and slapped it to make it breathe and handed it to the old woman. It's an interesting tactic, right? Slapping it to make it breathe. Um, he's a doctor, right? See, it's a boy, Nick, he said. How do you like being an intern? Nick said, all right. He was looking away so as not to see what his father was doing. There, that gets it, said his father, and put something into the basin. Nick didn't look at it. Now, his father said, there's some stitches to put in. You can watch this or not, Nick, just as you like. I'm going to sew up the incision I made. Nick did not watch. His curiosity had been gone for a long time. His father finished and stood up. Uncle George and the three Indian men stood up. Nick put the basin out in the kitchen. Uncle George looked at his arm. The young Indian smiled reminiscently. I'll I'll put some peroxide on that, George, the doctor said. He bent over the Indian woman. She was quiet now and her eyes were closed. She looked very pale. She did not know what had become of the baby or anything. I'll be back in the morning, the doctor said, standing up. The nurse should be here from St. Ignace by noon, and she'll bring everything we need. He was feeling exhausted and talkative as football players are in the dressing room after a game. That's one for the medical journal, George, he said, doing a cesarean with a jackknife and sewing it up with, a, with nine-foot tapered gut leaders. Uncle George was standing against the wall, looking at his arm. Oh, you're a great man, all right, he said. Ought to have a look at the proud father. They're usually the worst sufferers in these little affairs, the doctor said. I must say, he took it all pretty quietly. Um... So the doctor's rather impressed with himself, um, for sure. Um, Nick and his uncle are, are definitely less impressed. Um, he's, the doctor's just kind of bragging about what he just did. Um, and, and, uh, his son and his, uh, what I would assume is his brother, since it's the boy's uncle, um, are just not really, really having it. Um, they just went through a sort of like, you know, relatively serious, especially at this time 
in the world and in these circumstances. They're not in a hospital. They're in um the the lady's just laying in a bunk in a in a little uh in her home, basically. And you know, it, it could have been it's a life it it is a life and death uh scenario for um for the baby and for her um so and he's talking about it like it was a like it was a football game again you you almost as a doctor have to separate yourself um from the situation in in that um to to do what you do um but it's just kind of distasteful to talk about it the way that he does afterwards. Um, so he just says, ought to have a look at the proud father. They're usually the worst sufferers in these little affairs. The doctor said, I must say he took it off pretty quietly. He pulled back the blanket from the Indian's head. His hand came away wet. He mounted on the edge of the lower bunk with the lamp in one hand and looked in. The Indian lay with his face toward the wall. His throat had been cut from ear to ear. The blood had flowed down into a pool where his body sagged the bunk. His head rested on his left arm. The open razor lay edge up in the blankets. Take Nick out of the shanty, George, the doctor said. There was no need of that. Nick, standing in the door of the kitchen, had a good view of the upper bunk when his father, the, lump in, the lamp in one hand, tipped the Indian's head back. So... Yeah. Um... Immediately, uh, kind of humbles, humbles the proud doctor here. Um, he was right though. They're usually the worst sufferers in these little affairs in, in a sense, in a psychological sense. Um, that's for sure true. Um, cause he, he couldn't take his wife's pain. Um, he couldn't stand hearing her and he, he took, he took, uh, he took his own, own life. Um, with the same tool, it appears that, um, well, probably different jackknife and, uh, I guess a straight razor of some sort. Um, yeah, but you get, you get a contrast there. You get that juxtaposition of, of, of death and life, the baby being born and, uh, the father taking his own life. Um, definitely get that life and death. You, you get the, uh, you get another contrast of, the doctor and the father, same person to, um, but still very, um, very different in, in the way they, that he handles things as, as the doctor. And then as, as the father, um, cause he's having to, he's having to be both. Right. Um, he's, he's, he's really proud that he's, he's brought his son along and his son could see him do this 
great thing. And then immediately after he kind of wishes he, he wouldn't have, uh, wishes he wouldn't have brought him because of what ended up happening. Um, it was just beginning to be daylight when they walked along the logging road back toward the lake. I'm terribly sorry I brought you along, Nikki, his father said. All this post-operative exhilaration... If I can talk. All his post-operative exhilaration gone. It was an awful mess to put you through. Do ladies always have such a hard time having babies? Nick asked. No, that was very, very exceptional. Why did he kill himself, Daddy? I don't know, Nick. He couldn't stand things, I guess. Do many men kill themselves, Daddy? Not very many, Nick. Do many women? Hardly ever. Don't they ever? Oh, yes, they do sometimes. Daddy? Yes. Where did Uncle George go? He'll turn up all right. Is dying hard, Daddy? No, I think it's pretty easy, Nick. It all depends. They were seated in the boat, Nick in the stern, his father rowing. The sun was coming up over the hills. A bass jumped, making a circle in the water. Nick trailed his hands in the water. It felt warm in the sharp chill of the morning. In the early morning on the lake, sitting in the stern of the boat with his father rowing, he felt quite sure he would never die. Um, I think most of us, most of us know that Hemingway um, also ended up taking his own life. Um, his father did the same. Don't, I'm trying to look it up right now. Um, okay, well, so Hemingway's father was a doctor, um, who shot himself in 1928. So just a few years after this, Hemingway, Hemingway's father, um, took his own life. So there's some foreshadowing of both Hemingway's, Hemingway's father, um, and Hemingway's eventual, um, decision himself. Um, so it's it's interesting that the father offers a a justification in this story. Um is it enough of a justification? Eh. It's it's hard to say what's a justification for taking your own life. Um but he, he offers an attempt at justification here, which is interesting. Um, what's also interesting is Nick asks one question about um, about the, the birth. He asks probably four, three or four about about the man killing himself. Um, so it's, it's very, very clear, um, which, which event in the story had, had a bigger impact, bigger impact on Nick. Um, it's also interesting how Nick ends the story. 
it, at the end of the story, Nick um, feels quite sure that he will never die. And you also get a little little contrast here um, of um, his hand in the water that felt warm in the sharp 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 chill of the morning. Um, let me see if I have anything else. Um. Have anything else that I can think of? So I think we're just gonna we're just gonna end it. That is the first chapter, um, being the first vignette and also the first um, short story. It's only about about four pages or so. So um, yeah, interesting. This collection for sure deals with um, some difficult themes. And we're not we're not out of the out of the woods yet, I don't believe. So um yeah, that's all I got for this one. Um hopefully hopefully I made sense and uh maybe maybe told you something you didn't know before. Um but I hope you enjoyed it either way. So um yeah, until next time, as always, keep on reading. <laughs>